I remember the nurse, one of the nurses came up to me and she said, you have a beautiful baby girl. She's 11 ounces. And I said, okay, how many pounds is that? Now, mind you, I, I was still like drugged up, you know, and I was still out of it. I, I still had very high blood pressure at this point. I was not myself. And she looked at me, you know, with very sympathetic eyes. And she says, oh, sweetie, she's not a pound. A pound is 16 ounces. She's 11 ounces. And she kind of just let that, the air grew thick after she said that. And I was, I was thinking about that. And I just kind of was like, I just, just, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. I did not know where we would go from there. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, I'm speaking with Gabby and Mike Grinberg. In 2015, they unexpectedly welcomed their first child, Lana Rose, at 24 weeks of gestation due to a life-threatening preeclampsia that put both Gabby and Lana's lives in danger. Lana became the second smallest micropremie to be born and survive at Children's Hospital Minneapolis, weighing just 11 ounces. Welcome, Mike and Gabby. Thank you so much for having us, Ronit. Thanks for having us. I'm really glad you're here, and I'm so excited to learn about your story and how your family is doing now. So when you were pregnant with Lana, did you have any indication, Gabby and Mike, that there was anything happening that was out of the normal range of, you know, pregnancy experience? Good question. So while we were going through it, um, I don't think we knew that th- that these were little signs, but in hindsight, I can definitely pinpoint a couple of instances where I noticed uh, some some little you know little signs, little things that were that were that were for, for t- you know that were sort of foretelling uh, the future, but it, they were so. Um, you know, uh, uneventful at the time that we just didn't piece it together, you know, and it, and they, and they didn't add up individually. Um, so- Can you share that a little bit of, of what you were experiencing that in hindsight seems to maybe have been a sign? Absolutely. So initially, um, very early on, I think within the first six, six weeks of pregnancy, I had some spotting. Um, and, and that is, can, can be normal, you know, generally it, it, it's not a good thing. It could be a sign of, um, uh, of a miscarriage or something going on in utero, but, but it can also just happen. You know, some women can have some spotting and, uh, and I experienced that and I called, uh, my OB right away. You know, I was very concerned, very worried. They said for me to come in. We did an ultrasound right away. They said, nope, everything looks good. You know, we saw we saw the little bean shaped egg that was growing <laughs> inside. And and I think even at that point, we heard heart, uh, the heartbeat, I, I believe. So um, so everything was, you know, hunky dory, as they say. And um, mm. they told us, you know, that they just to be on the safe side and sort of put my mind at ease. Um we scheduled a couple a couple additional follow up um, ultrasounds prior to the twenty week ultrasound. Usually, um, if there's no prior indication of you know high risk or anything like that, the first time a woman will 
generally get a, an ultrasound is right around that 20 week mark. So we had a couple along the way. Um, but that was that was one incident that, again, during that particular point in time, there was nothing that to indicate that that this was, you know, telling of something in the future. But now that we do understand what what happened, um, it was actually the spotting was a result of my placenta not forming correctly in utero. Mm. So that's an early development in a pregnancy that that can create the issues later. In my case, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, a lot of times women that do experience uh, preeclampsia and I had, um, in addition to preeclampsia, I also had HELP syndrome. It's a acronym H-E-L-L-P. And it's kind of the ugly redheaded stepsister of preeclampsia. It's, uh, it's, it's a pretty severe um, disease for women that are pregnant and it, it can lead to, um, high, you know, very high blood pressure and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and if not detected appropriately, if not managed uh, swiftly, it can lead to death for both mother and baby. So often... Did you have that diagnosed? Was that actually something you were aware of yet? Not at this early stage. It was, it, it, it will not have been until uh, almost 23, 24 weeks before we finally, you know, once basically Lana was ready to come out is when we understood what was happening in our pregnancy. So up until this point, you're like many, I would imagine, new newly pregnant parents who are getting ready for their first child. And, and Mike, what was your anxiety or comfort level during these early months of the pregnancy? I mean, honestly, until until that 20 week ultrasound where they actually told us that something was off. Mm -hmm. I think we were both for the most part, fine. Like we were, you know, a little bit concerned, but they, you know, like Gabby said, when we went in, they put our minds at ease. No, this is normal. This can happen. Let's check up just in case. And we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. So we were sort of, you know, we were doing their usual stuff. We were getting, uh, you know, baby books taking, I think we, you know, we have a photo with our dog in front of a baby book, you know, all that, you know, <laughs> normal, normal things from expecting parents, I guess. Right. Right. So then, so cut to this, would you say 20 week mark when, when you became aware that there was a, a different thing brewing? I mean, at 20 weeks, we, we, we went in for the 20 week ultrasound and they blatantly, you know, they, the, the technician walked into the, actually, wait, I wasn't even there, was I? Yeah, no, let me yeah, tell, you tell the story. I wasn't, I wasn't there for that one because it was supposed no, to be man. like, a, what, what was I traveling? I can't it was remember. supposed to be routine at that point, you know, 20, you know, like, like Mike said, you know, um, everything up until that 20 week mark was, was normal. You know, we had the spotting, but th they put our minds at ease. The only other sort of telltale sign that for me was, was a real, a sore point, but again, we didn't have anything to really compare it to. And every time mm -hmm. I went in for a checkup, everything they said was hunky dory. The only thing for me that was, was an issue was the fact that by 20 weeks, I really wasn't showing. 
I, I was expecting to have, you know, this beautiful round little bump of a stomach, you know, that I, I was looking forward to doing mm-hmm. um, pregnancy photos and, you know, having Mike put his hands around my tummy and feeling the baby, you know, everyone was, was asking me, oh, do you feel her kick? Do you feel, and I, and I just wasn't feeling anything. And I, I mm. didn't even look pregnant. I wasn't even wearing maternity clothes at 20 weeks. Uh, the only mm-hmm. thing that I compare, I mean, I had gained some weight and I was a little bloated, you know, carrying extra water. I just tell people, you know, the best analogy that I can give you (laughs) to put a vision in your mind is imagine going to Chipotle and eating like five burritos. That's basically how I look. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like, I feel like in a way, isn't that kind of fun too? But I mean, I understand because when I myself was pregnant, I'm not eating five burritos. That's not what I meant. (laughs) Let me, let me go back. Let me go back. I clumsily was trying to say that there's pros and cons, right? Like if you're trying to hide your pregnancy, you know, if you were someone who was trying to like keep it under wraps, you're probably happy. But if you're someone who is ready to really announce it and have everybody start to notice it and to start to celebrate the impending birth, you might be wondering, what, where is it? Th- that's correct. I mean, we we were at the point now where we were excited. You know, we wanted to share. Um, like Mike said, we were doing all the things that an expectant couple would do, um, knowing that there's there's this baby coming in, in nine months, you know, and mm-hmm. um at that point, like I said, at 20 weeks, I just simply didn't even look pregnant. I remember coming mm-hmm. home to Mike, you know, a couple times and saying, you know, being really down about that and, and, and ask and telling him like, I don't know what's going on. Why is the baby not showing? I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike would sort of just try to put my mind at ease and just say, look, you know, it's not a big deal. Maybe this is a small, you know, both Mike and I yeah. are, are not very tall people where I'm, I'm five, four and he's five, six on a good day. So, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates you adding that last bit. <laughs> oh, he's, he, he's okay with it. Uh, you know, we're, neither of us are like, let's just say basketball players, you know, so we're not very uh-huh. big. We're not very tall. Um, so, you know, we kind of, that was one way in which we rationalized it. We were just like, okay, right. you know, we're just going to have a small baby. Um, but little did we know what what small we were actually going to be in for at the time. So, well, when before you go to this this next part of the story where, with the checkup that uh, you know alerts you to what's really happening, did your doctors have concern about you not showing at this point? Um, not until the twenty week ultrasound. No, I mean there was mm-hmm. the, you know I did have a few checkups along the way. Um, but everything was, everything was, you know, kosher as they say, but yeah, there was yeah. the heartbeat, um, you know, uh, all the other, all the, no, other all the appointments sort of I went to with you were fine. I think there was what, I think we're there was fine, like a 16 yeah. week uh-huh. ultrasound, I believe that I went to. And we did do 16 weeks. Yep. We did 12, we did uh-huh. six. And yeah. And they were all fine. There was no concern. No. Yeah. Yeah. And it is an interesting, I like to pause as well, because I think that especially when you're bringing a child into the world you, or when you're raising your child, you, you do worry. I mean, most people do worry, but there's this weird balance between trying to relax and understanding that you're new at something, but also being aware of maybe complications or things you should be worried about. And it's, it's a really hard uh, juxtaposition I I found myself because I didn't want when I was pregnant and as a mom I don't want to over worry but at the same time I don't know what I shouldn't be or should be worried about right you're exactly. new at it yeah 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 
think about it, having a child is it sure it's one of the, the most, you know, basic time and memoriam things, you know, that, that we go through as humans, but but there's just so so much that can happen within a pregnancy. And mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a societal thing though to a certain extent. Cause I mean, think about how many how many of us knew anything or talked about it since whatever seventh grade health class up until you end up having exactly. a baby. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Just, it's not really talked about. Yeah. And, like nobody, like, and I think that's also part of the reason why you have what is it, five percent of women? They're like a, a large percentage of women that get preeclampsia, get misdiagnosed, and whatnot, still to this day. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't know well, that. It's yeah, I mean, I'm kind of jumping around, jumping ahead on that one a little bit. But no, it's okay. So, so tell, so talk me through this this next really important appointment where everything pretty much changed for you. Well, um, absolutely. So at 20 weeks, um, you know, up until this point, everything was just like I said, hunky dory. Mike did not come with me on this on this um, appointment because the following day we were planning to take a baby moon. We were planning to take, you know, a 10 day trip to California. So he was busy getting things ready. He was working. He had stuff to do. So I went with my mom. And, you know, I had absolutely no reason to believe or fear that anything was wrong. Um, and I went with my mom and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and in this, in, it's during this appointment that everything changed. Um, the ultrasound technician spent an inordinate amount of time with me. I think it was, I mean, it felt like almost an hour where she was poking and prodding and mm-hmm. jabbing that wand into my stomach. And I, it was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I remember telling her a few times, you know, miss, you're kind of going a little bit hard. Can you, can you, can you ease up? Um, she was really just trying to get in there and, mm-hmm. and she had me, you know, lie down, stand up, turn around, go to the bathroom, drink some water. Like I just, all these crazy things. And wow. at that point I, I kind of started to have my suspicions about something. Of course you know, as an expectant mother, on one hand, I have one part of my brain that's saying everything is fine. Everything is fine. This is normal. This is fine. And then I have the other part of my brain that's saying something is wrong. The baby, something could be wrong. Maybe it's genetics. Maybe it's this, maybe it's the head, maybe it's the heart. You know, you're thinking about all these, all these things. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the, 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 the ultrasound technician was dead silent. She just, she didn't say anything. She would just kind of give me directions, tell me what to do. Um, after she had what felt like an hour, she, um, wiped up my stomach, um, from that, you know, gelatinous goo, um, the gel, and she escorted me and my mom back to our room. Mm-hmm. And, um, the doctor came in right away. This was not a doctor who I had seen before. It was someone who, um, you know, who worked at the clinic, but not somebody that I knew personally. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a very stern look on his face. And he said to me, I, I will never forget what he said it, or the way he said it. He said, um, well, I'm going to get straight to the point, Mrs. Mrs. Grinberg. Um, we are diagnosing you as high risk. And I I just felt like the wind had been taken out of me. And I said, well, what do you mean? Why? And, and he went on to explain that, um, that I had very low amniotic fluid and that our daughter was at this, at this point, we had already known that it was a girl, um, that she was trending smaller than her gestational age. 
And, you know, me being Mm -hmm. trying to think positively, trying to come up with the easiest solution, I said, okay, well, I just need to eat more food and drink more water, right? If the baby's small and there isn't amniotic fluid, Mm -hmm. easy solution. (laughs) Um, Which is, you know, again, just a a sign of how ignorant we were about this. And, um, you know, and he he didn't find that amusing whatsoever. And, And he just said, well, you know, it's not as easy as that. And, and, you know, we, 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 we need you to be seen by a perinatal physician. And I said, uh, you know, and then we started, mm-hmm. you just kind of more talking about, about, about why and what. And I kept asking him, well, what could be the cause of this? Why is this happening? You know, is it something that I did? Is it something, what's, what's happening? What's going on? What can you tell me? Um, and he said, look, you know, your baby, mm-hmm. as far as we can tell through, with our ultrasound, um, she is healthy. She has all her vertebrae. She has a perfectly formed head, five fingers on each hand, five toes, two hands, two feet. You know, she has all, you know, uh, uh, phys- phys- physically, anatomically, she has everything that she's supposed to have and nothing mm-hmm. that she's not. So I thought, okay, Hugh, that's, that's huge. That's great. You know, that's, that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but, but you're still high risk and we don't know, and you have to be seen by, by a perinatal physician. So we canceled our trip that we were supposed to go on. And we made an appointment the, the following week that would have been 21 weeks pregnant to see a perinatal clinic. And they did a, what's called a level two ultrasound. So it's, it's a little bit more in depth. It's a little bit more, um, uh, detailed, you know, they're able to get more measurements and and see things differently than th- the regular um, ultrasounds that you would see at, at an OB clinic. And again, you know, they kind of confirm. At that point, we had done some blood work, so we did some genetic testing. We had done we had done some blood work, and everything was coming back negative. Meaning, you know, they were testing for Down syndrome, no Down syndrome. They were testing for some of the trisomies, trisomy 18, trisomy 13, no trisomy. Mm-hmm. Um, we were looking to see if those genetic, uh, you know, so the other genetic diseases that maybe I had or Mike had, um, nothing, everything was, was, you know, there was, there was nothing that was coming back suggesting why I was high risk. Mm. Um, and, at the conclusion of the appointment, they told us, well, we want to see you back in three weeks at 24 weeks. You're 20, you're currently 20, 20 weeks pregnant. We want to see you back here in three weeks. And I just said, well, you know, what do I do? What, 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 what do I do? <laughs> I'm, I, you know, you just dropped this bomb yeah. on me. And so then how, how worried are, are they asking you to be? What is their, what, what is their instruction to you? Well, I think that was part of the problem is, is they weren't very good at, at communicating that instruction. And, uh, mm-hmm. the, um, they also, at that point, I think they specifically told you that the baby was trending two weeks behind. Yeah. Yeah. They, that the baby was very small. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the problem was that the problem was that there was a problem, but nobody could identify what the problem was. So, mm-hmm. so the diagnosis was: let's wait and see what happens. Well, and the 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 other thing to throw out there too, just to add some color to the story, is because I was that uh, this, that ultrasound I was at, and the the doc who came in to kind of give us all the 
the details didn't necessarily have the best bedside manner. I mean, she was nice and everything, but we were like, okay, so what could be mm-hmm. caused? Cause she's like, she's small. She's trending about two weeks behind, et cetera, et cetera. We're like, okay, great. What could be causing it? She's like, well, it could be down syndrome. It could be trisomy. It could be this other thing. It could be this <laughs> other thing. She literally went down the list and she said, or it just could be nothing. And she might just be small. I'm like, why didn't you just start there? Like literally gag, like I can yeah. hold a poker face pretty well. Gabby's sitting there just like, you know, about to fall out of the chair. I'm like, this is just not, this is, you know. I, I remember Mike and I kind of leaving that appointment and just being number one, terrified. And number two, very perplexed because we, we didn't have any answers. You know, we weren't further along in knowing anything of what was going on. And we were also being given what I considered to be very conflicting information about triage and post post care. Um, and, and so to, you know, to kind of get to the, the cliffhanger here is this is 21 weeks between 21 weeks and 23 weeks. I had started to feel different things in my pregnancy that, that again, didn't seem out of place in and of themselves. It seemed like, okay, this is fine. This is fine. But adding them all together, there was a real problem. So how early into your pregnancy do you believe or do you understand from what the doctors told you had help been at work within you and the preeclampsia been, had begun? How had it taken, how, when had it started is what I guess I'm asking. That's a difficult question to answer because truthfully, scient- you know, scientists and doctors out there don't really have a good explanation as to when and how preeclampsia and help develop in a woman and what are the key indicators that might that might cause a woman to develop um, preeclampsia and help. It's still very much a, a, a largely mysterious disease. Um, that is why so many women that that do that are diagnosed with this are kind of are diagnosed. And then all of a sudden it's just kind of the diagnosis is happening as the disease is, is manifesting itself within the body. So we really only knew what was going on as it was happening. Mm -hmm. So then what was the moment where you realized you had a very serious situation on your hands? Where were you when that happened? It was 4 a.m., um, it was my 24th, uh, I'm sorry, 23rd week of pregnancy. I, it was, it was a Tuesday morning, four o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I was up all night taking Tylenol, trying to self-medicate. All of a sudden I just started feeling this tightness and pressure in my chest. And it felt like I was having a heart attack. I was, I was having trouble breathing. I woke up Mike. We, we rushed to the hospital. He was driving 90 miles per hour. I thought for sure we were going to get pulled over. Mm. We get to the hospital. Um, we explain to, to the doctors what was happening. They immediately get me in. I'm checked in. I've got IVs literally in both my, you know, the crux of my elbows, my, my arm, my hands. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting fluids and the doctor comes in and, um, they told me that I had very high blood pressure. I had 190 over 120. Wow. And that I was at risk of having a, uh, a stroke, 
I, I ended up spending a week in the hospital under very strict bed rest. I was in what's called the antepartum wing of the hospital. Um, most women are that are pregnant and that have that have delivered at a hospital will will be familiar with the you know um, postpartum mm-hmm. after you've given birth. And I was in antepartum, and I had never heard that terminology. <laughs> it's my before. first time hearing it myself. Yeah. Yes. And, and essentially there, you know, in this particular hospital and probably others that are, that have, that are equipped to deal with, um, high risk pregnancies and and delicate pregnancies. Um, it's, it's highly trained nurses and technicians and doctors that their job is to keep you pregnant for as long as, as possible for as long as healthy, it, it is healthy for the mother and the baby. So they do everything they can. They did everything they can to keep me pregnant until I could no longer remain pregnant. So what happened? I'd been in the hospital for a week. I had been pumped full of magnesium sulfate, which is an incredibly life-saving drug. But anyone that has ever had to take in this take in magnesium sulfate will tell you that it's just absolutely horrendous and horrific. Um, it makes you feel hot and nauseous and sick and it's just, but it's doing wonders for your body. Well, and the reality is it's technically poisoning your body to save the pregnancy or to prevent you from having a stroke, I should say, because they give it to you in really high doses that you're technically, you wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a it's, trade-off. It's, it's, it's not yes. good for you necessarily, but it keeps the Not baby. for the long term, but it, it, yeah. well, it keeps you from having term. a stroke. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. It, 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 keeps. it prevents stroke. It slows the signs of, of, of a spontaneous birth, you know, so it slows down your body from going into birth. Um, and it, and it's very, very highly effective in women that have preeclampsia and that also have help syndrome. So I was completely delirious. I was on oxygen. I was in so much pain. Even through all of that, I asked the doctor if we could, if we could postpone, if we could delay, if we could keep the baby inside me long and longer, because, you know, I was only 24 weeks pregnant at that point. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't want to deliver my baby. I didn't, but, but I had to because Mm -hmm. The preeclampsia and the help were so severe that had they not delivered me, had I not even been in the hospital, I may not be alive today. And and neither would Lana. Had they told you that there was a, a minimum amount of weeks you needed to keep the baby for your for her maximum survival chance? Prior to the, to the, the, the emergency C-section, we had met with a lot of doctors while being in the hospital. And one of the doctors at this point, I was still 23 weeks pregnant and 23 weeks for most hospitals is kind of the cutoff point. Meaning if the child is, is earlier than 23 weeks, 22, 21, 20, um, it's considered not viable outside of your utero. Now there have been some pretty remarkable cases that have made national headline news of, of preemies being born at 21 and 22 weeks, 23 weeks even, and, and, and surviving. Well, and there's one other thing you're forgetting, which is they're before 24 weeks, they're legally obligated to ask you whether you want to keep the pregnancy or not. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I was going to, mm-hmm. yeah. They they did ask us, I remember a doctor asking me and Mike a few times if we wanted to abort. And wow. that was not even a, a word in my vocabulary. That was not even a thought that crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we had been told that our daughter could, could have significant health impacts, that she could be visually impaired, mentally impaired, physically impaired. She could, she could have lifelong um, deformities and impairments. Well, and more than that, the numbers were not in our favor. They pretty much, I remember they said like at 23 weeks or something that the, you know, have the likelihood of having a, you know, a normal quality of life for a preemie is somewhere in the 20% range or 30%. At least that's what it was then. I think it's maybe better now. Um, cause they've, I mean, mm-hmm. even, even in the last five years, there's been a lot of advancements, but. So can you take me to the birth? My heart was racing, you know, there was a million miles, a a million things going through my head. And I really honestly felt like I was having an outer body, out of body experience. I I felt like I was looking over, but it wasn't me. It was like me, but it wasn't me. It, It was, it was a very surreal thing because in the OR, you know, here's this pregnant woman, severe preeclampsia, severe help syndrome, 24 weeks pregnant. The baby is IUGR. So it was it was just it was just such a weird and and quite frankly, uh, a surreal moment. And um, there were a lot of there was there was the surgeon. There was a couple of other doctors. There was nurses. There was the one of the head neonatal doctors was in the room. One of the um, neonatal nurse practitioners who I will never forget this woman as long as I live. They as soon as the the surgeon removed the baby from me. And of course, I, I don't feel anything and I can't see anything. I'm Mike. I don't even think, Mike, that you were able to see anything. Cause no, because they, they have the little curtain thing. They put up a curtain. But they took out the baby and I remember the nurse practitioner kind of peeking her head and she said, okay, the baby's out. We're taking her to the warming room. Well, and that's that's probably the thing to mention too is like before this whole thing happened, they kind of took us through a couple of days before that they sort of kind of started prepping us for what was going to happen, which is like, okay, if and when we have to deliver, like this is going to happen, they'll take the baby out and right away they're going to move him to the warming room because the kids we need to intubate well they have to first of all they have to intubate right away because they're so small they can't breathe and the other thing is is they're so tiny that they lose body heat so quickly that they could literally go into shock in a matter of you know seconds if we don't put them in a warm Mm -hmm. room and so she's 11 ounces right yep she was tiny can you how how long was she when you look at like something that a listener could compare. She was 10 and a half inches. Like pretty much what we say is take, pick up your cell phone, mm-hmm. hold it in your palm. That's about the weight and the length. Mm-hmm. Um, another point of reference is, you know, if you think, if you drink, if you drink soda or, you know, bubbly water, uh, a can of, a, a can of mm-hmm. Coke is 12 ounces and Lana was 11 ounces. So she was less than a can of mm-hmm. Coke at birth. And, and today, you know, the, a, a, an average baby, you know, healthy baby, full-term baby can be anywhere from, you know, let's say five pounds on, on the low end to, you know, nine, 10 pounds yeah, or more, <laughs> at birth yeah. or more for, some, for some of those bigger yeah. babies. Um, and our daughter was less than a pound. Mm-hmm. And I remember 
when the doctor, you know, they had, they had taken her out, they'd removed the placenta. I'm st- and I'm being stitched up at this point. And Mike went into the warming room with the doctors, with the baby. And he took pictures. We have the first picture is of Lana, um, being intubated. Uh, and they had the, the tiniest, tiniest little instruments to, and tubes to, to get down her throat because she's just minuscule. She's just tiny, you know, think of like a little baby mm-hmm. bird that falls from the nest. I mean, her skin was very translucent. Her eyes were still fused mm. shut. We could see dark shadows under her skin where her major organs were. So she, there was like a little dark spot, which was her liver. Mm. We could see her heart. Um, we could make out her, you know, her vertebrae and, and her um, rib cage. And so I'm, I, you know, Mike is in the warming room. I'm being well, they let me in there up. for literally about a minute to take a photo, which was really weird in hindsight anyway, mm-hmm. just the whole experience. It's almost <laughs> well, like why do you say that? Well, I don't like, in, it, you just like, I remember feeling almost like, uh, I mean, this is going to sound awful, but almost like you're at the zoo behind with an animal behind the glass and you're taking a photo and then off mm-hmm. you go, even though that's your child, but it just doesn't look like mm-hmm. a child because it's this little alien looking thing that's about 10 inches long Mm -hmm. so So, it was it was it was a really weird experience you know and then the flip side i've got gabby in the other room like with god knows what's going on yeah yeah Yeah, that's a lot of i mean that's a lot of stress out of the room gabby's being wheeled to recovery so that i don't think i even saw you until they took me to recovery afterwards yeah yeah and and so i remember the nurse one of the nurses came up to me and she said you have a beautiful baby girl. She's a, she's 11 ounces. Hmm. And I said, okay, how many pounds is that? <laughs> now, mind you, I, I was still like mm-hmm. drugged up, you know, and I was still out of it. I, I still had very high blood pressure at this point. I was not myself. And she looked at me, you know, with very sympathetic eyes. And she says, oh, sweetie, she's not a pound. A pound is 16 ounces. She's 11 mm-hmm. ounces. Mm-hmm. And she kind of just let that the air grew thick after she said that. And I was, I was thinking about that. And I just kind of was like, just, just, I didn't know what to say. I I didn't know what to think. I did not know where we would go from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how long did you stay in the hospital? We were in the NICU. Well, our daughter was in the NICU for six months, um, 172 days. I was after right after the the um, uh, the, the C section. I was in the hospital for about a week, and, and so what was your day to day like as a couple, and and how what was your stress level like, and when did you start to feel that maybe she was out of danger? The first two months, roughly, were really rough because she was. There was a number of times where they told us. To, so the, the, the hospital has a, uh, there's a Ronald McDonald house that's attached. They're like on, on the same floor, even as the NICU. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much told us, you may want to stay here overnight because we don't know if she's going to make it. Uh, so we did that two mm. or three times, I remember, over the first couple of months. She had a number of complications and just wasn't, like the oxygenation wasn't working and they were trying different, uh, different ventilation machines, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, one of the first things that that the NIC, what our NICU nurse had told us 
was that couples that that oftentimes couples that have a preemie don't end up staying together. You know, that the, the marriage dissolves because of the stress and the anxiety and just mm-hmm. everything that comes along with that. Um, and, you know, we vowed, we said that we were going to get through this together, that we were not going to let this break mm-hmm. us. So we were going to be strong for our baby. Um, I should also mention quickly at this point is that after my C-section, I lost my job and I was the primary um, holder for the insurance for for the health plan. So, mm-hmm. you know, talk about adding insult to injury. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, was in the hospital for a week, delivered a baby that's less than a pound that had a very, at that point, we knew it was a very long way to go before she was coming home. Um, we always mm-hmm. spoke about when she was coming home, not if, you know, we never let that enter into our vocabulary. We were very, very deliberate about when, not if, because mm-hmm. we had to have hope and we had to have faith. And we, you know, our, our religion and our faith and, and prayer was really a big part of that, that, that helped us get through that. Mm-hmm. So Mike, when you, when you think back on this time, um, you, you know, it's been, it's been about five years, right? Is that about right? Five years? Yep. yep. So Almost. how... How do you, are you able to think about it with perspective at this point, the the initial experience and and how shocking and and frightening it was, or does it still affect you in a, in a, you know, pretty marked way? I think, I mean, at this point we can definitely look at it with perspective. I think the first couple of years, I Definitely wouldn't be saying that. Like I think, and we, you know, Gabby and I, sort of deal with stress and uh, you know difficult situations very differently. I sort of lock him up and compartmentalize, and for her, it's the opposite. But that that doesn't really get to your question. So right now, no, no, that's fine too. Because you're um, right, both of you, when you're talking about the effect on a marriage, <laughs> when a child is when a child is ill or there's a, a real hardship with, with the pregnancy, any of that, and any kind of special needs for a kid, there is, it's proven that the families and the marriages can really be affected negatively. Yep. I mean, we were, we were lucky. We had a really big support system, like our families and our friends and even coworkers, former coworkers, like it was sort of the, the whole, you know, it takes a, takes a village kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to answer your question, I think, yeah, at this point, we're able to, I think, look at it very objectively and really the lessons that we learned through that experience, I think it, it, it definitely made us stronger as a, as a couple. It made us, you know, better people, uh, you know, in a variety of ways. And I would say it even prepared us to deal with uh, the craziness that's going on right now in the sense of, you know, just being able to deal with unexpected, difficult situations. And there's other similarities too, just because when we brought Lana home, um, we were pretty much... We were keeping her in medical Yeah, we were pretty much medically isolated. Like they they said, you you know, whatever you do, you can't take her, like don't take, don't put her in daycare. That's pretty much a guarantee that you're going to end up back in the hospital, you know, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. So, you know, Gabby had lost her job. So Gabby stayed home. We didn't go out. We mm-hmm. didn't, you know, for, I think it was months. Um, but yeah, after we got back, it was, you know, it was a while before we started going on walks and it was, 
things like that. But we didn't go anywhere. We didn't have people over. We had sanitizer all over the house. And we had a- sure. It is very much like how some of us are living right now. So do you feel that you're in a place as much as any parent can can be in a place to take to take it for granted now, the the outcome of your family and, and the health of, you know, Lana's health and stuff like how how is your day to day relationship to the fragility of health and life? I think that the, the, the experience that we went through, you know, being having a high risk pregnancy, being misdiagnosed, going into preterm labor, having a child in the hospital for six months, bringing that child home with medical equipment. So Lana came home on continuous oxygen and she also had a feeding tube. She still has a feeding Mm -hmm. tube. She had a number of, you know, being that premature, she also had, um, you know, other medical needs. She needed a lot of early intervention, you know, PT, OT, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I think that we've definitely, we're out of the woods, you know, in many ways. And and we, we are so grateful that we can, we're untethered by her medical equipment at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she's just like any regular five years old, five-year-old child, almost five-year-old child. She's got an attitude and she talks back and she stamps her foot and <laughs> shakes her fist. Thank goodness, right? right? right. Yeah, we have to so, remind her. That's the, I think that, that gets at your question, Rita, is like... We have to remind ourselves that, thank goodness that she does that, because she drives us kind of crazy, especially lately. Oh, sure. (laughs) But, but, you know, to to answer the question, I think that our our lives are forever changed by that, by that, by that experience. And, and, you know, we, we think about um, her medical needs, especially in situations like we're going through now with, with the coronavirus. Um, also one important thing to mention is that having lost my job at such a critical time in our lives, becoming a stay at home mom, which was not part of my career plan, Mm. led us to where we are today in, in that we started a business. We started a fully remote agent, digital marketing agency, Proofpoint Marketing, when Lana was just shy of, of two years old. Uh, at that point, I I had been home with her for 18 months. I'd been a full-time stay at, first, uh, what I say is a stay at hospital mom and then mm. a stay at home mom for, um, for 24, uh, almost 24 months, was 22 months. And that was not part of my career plan. And I, and I'd really wanted to get back to work. And, mm-hmm. but I knew that I just couldn't find any regular old job. I needed to have a job that would allow me significant flexibility to be able to care for her and to be the kind of parent that I, that I needed to be for her. And so that's when we decided to start our company, um, proof point as a way for us, um, to have the flexibility that we wanted in our career. And also as a mm-hmm. way to create the kind of company that, that we wanted to see out there in the world, you know, one that was remote, one that prioritizes family, one that, you know, is flexible in terms of, you know, your, your working needs. Um, one that, that prioritizes, um, the people that you're working with. And, you know, when I, when I was working and I lost my job, it it was, it felt so, so horrific Mm -hmm. to have to, to, to feel, I, I didn't ha- now I, I lost my income, I lost my health insurance, and I have this critical child. And we never wanted to be we never wanted to, to be in a situation with our company um, 
you know, I mean, God forbid things happen in work and in life and so on and so forth. But, but when we started our company, it was really out of, out of the experiences that we had been through and, and the, and the desires that we were looking for and seeking in our career and Mm -hmm. in our professional lives. And that's what led us you know, I, I tell Lana all the time because she always bugs us why we're working so much. And I tell her, you know, <laughs> you inspired us. You put us on this path. You you create you put us on this path to work, to, to, to do what we're doing and to create a company that that is, you know, that 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 I truly believe in and that are, that I'm proud to have employees that also believe in the vision and the values that we have set forth with this company. And it's really out of that experience journey to parenthood and do you do you feel like there's anything you want people to know about healthcare or about their own medical journey that you can offer oh there's a lot <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> yeah uh i mean the biggest one it's, it's probably one of the same ones that gabby's thinking of which is you really have to be your own advocate like that's probably the most important thing. Like if 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 people come and listen to your to your show for like a for for something they can take away, that's probably the most important thing. Like you have to be your own advocate because unfortunately, mm-hmm. the system that we, especially if it's something if it's a complex uh, issue, um, if it's something that's not like a black and white. Like what what our healthcare system seems to be really good at is. Um, if you have like a very, if you have a known sort of severe textbook problem, like you have cancer. Okay. We got the things for you. Like we have the specialists, we have all the, you know, you can, you get your radiation, you get your chemo, you go get, and I'm not saying it's easy by any means, but it's, a, there's at least sort of like a text kind of de- the defined path forward. But if you kind of are somewhere in this gray area, which is exactly where Lana ended up because she wasn't thankfully she didn't have like the really severe complications that most preemies of her size would have. Um, but she wasn't doing great either initially. I mean, they, she fell through the cracks a number of times. And what we found out and kind of pretty quickly is that we had to, we had to do our own research and we had mm-hmm. to be our own advocates because the, there's just this weird gray area in medicine that, that just doesn't get addressed. It seems like. Then the other one is, I would say, and this is not necessarily medically related, but just in general is a big lesson, I think, for anybody that's going through a tough situation, whether it's medical or whatever, is it's okay to ask for help. Like, I'm the type that, like, I was very uncomfortable with it at first. But at the end of the day, we had people that gifted us, like, uh, gift cards for Bite Squad. For the, uh, you know, we had people bring us meals. We had people that helped uh clean and uh, whatever like it was at first I felt really uncomfortable with it but at, at about a couple of months in I was like I have no idea how we do it otherwise because we don't have time to think about what we're going to cook or whatever so I think those are probably the two biggest ones I would say I'll share two points that um, that relate so one for sure like Mike said is being an advocate in your medical journey um, or if you are a parent and you are taking care of a child that has medical needs, or even um, a child taking care of an elderly parent or an, an, an older relative or an adult relative, um, being an advocate for yourself or for your for your 
um, pay, you know, that the person whom you're taking care of is so important. And, you know, especially women that are pregnant, if something doesn't feel right in your body, if, if you have any, any inklings, you know, anything, I mean, obviously talk to your doctors, get quite, get, you know, get the answers you need, take their advice, but, but also know that, you know, you can get a second opinion. It's okay to do that. If you need to talk to a different doctor, if you're not connecting with the doctor that you've been assigned to, it's okay to, to ask politely and say, you know, I'd like to speak to a different colleague. I'd like to talk to a different nurse. What about mental health and the mental health support? Oh, but not, not so much later, because unfortunately we were also focused on Lana. That we were so we... focused on Lana, yeah. Well, that's a really important point, too, because postpartum parenthood is a big toll on the family and most of the attention goes to the baby anyway. But in yes. your situation, that must have been so heightened. It was. It was. You know, we had a, this this tiny, beautiful baby that had oxygen and she had a feeding tube and she had a lot of complications with feeding that I won't even get into because they're just <laughs> that would be another podcast in and of itself. But mm -hmm. um, all of my time with her was dedicated to her. I had mm -hmm. no time for myself. We lo I lost my job. Mike was working a full time job plus a second part time job to make up the difference of losing, you know, of not having a dual income. And um, it was it was maybe six or seven months maybe a year, actually probably a year after Lana came home before I realized that I needed help. And I, and I became suicidal. I did have some very deep, um, depressive moments. And that's when I knew that I needed help. And uh, I'm very lucky that I recognized that in, in myself mm -hmm. and that I did something about it, uh, that I had the courage to do something about it. And that I'm here today because of that. Um, but I, I would say, to, you know, to women and to men out there and to anyone that knows somebody that is pregnant or newly um, uh, delivered a baby that's a new mother, um, take care of the moms in this situation. You know, moms go through an inordinate amount of transformation and change to become a mother from, you know, being a woman to being pregnant to being a mother. It's just an incredible, incredible journey. And um, moms need help. And I, mm -hmm. I, I recognize now just how much my, my own mother has done so much for me and my siblings now that I'm a mother myself mm -hmm. and just how how incredibly special and important the role of mothers are in the world today. And, um, you know, my biggest takeaway, you know, is definitely being an advocate for yourself through a medical journey or through caring of others. Um, but then also for yourself, prioritizing, you know, your needs, prioritizing your mental health. Um, you certainly don't have to be a pregnant mother to prioritize, you know, mental health. <laughs> and, and it sounds like you, you definitely got your, I mean, from where you were four years ago, maybe even two and a half or three years ago, it sounds like you both have gotten your feet under you. And would it be accurate to say you're in a much yeah, better place? Definitely. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. We definitely are. <laughs> and, and what is the prognosis for Lana? Will she need special interventions going forward or is she like catching up now? Thankfully, she is. She's catching up pretty well. 
Yeah, she said a tremendous, beautiful, inspiring little human um, <laughs> that we love very much. She drives us crazy. Um, her feeding tube is by no means permanent. Mm -hmm. It will be something that hopefully in the very near future we can remove completely. Mm -hmm. She is eating um, orally and drinking orally. Um, so we're very happy about that. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, cognitively and intellectually, she has had zero impairment due to her prematurity. She is a bright, charming, well-spoken young lady. Um, on the physical side is where some of her prematurity has kind of more manifested. So she is still very petite for a five years for a five-year-old. She's she's around thirty pounds, which mm -hmm. is just pretty small for her age. Um, and she still has some, you know, she still struggles with gross motor skills and some fine motor skills, but, you know, we are grateful that we, um, have wonderful, uh, clinics where we are that, that are helping her and helping us, um, help her to overcome those, those, um, developmental milestones. But she is, um, you know, thankfully doing very well. She does have sense, um, she, she will have lung she, her lungs are impacted uh, by her prematurity because she was so small and she was on a ventilator for about four months and requiring oxygen. She has what's called bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And it's it's just kind of a blanket term for anybody that has um, lung damage. So uh, so that's that's also part of the reason why we we do take extra precaution around her especially during cold and flu season and right now uh, you know during the current situation of right. virus right we, we are very very acutely aware of the fact that she is at a higher risk for any respiratory disease but from a you know intellectual cognitive standpoint she's just a delight and mm -hmm. the physical stuff will come you know she's mm -hmm. made tremendous progress over the past few years and i have i have very little concerns about her being able to ride a bike i know she'll get there <laughs> i know some children who are in their early teens who don't know how to ride a bike so <laughs> So, 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 Mike, because I just want you to know you're not alone. So, Mike and Gabby, can you um, just share where we can find you and your links, and and then you know we we can follow your journey and learn about your work. Absolutely. So uh, both Mike and I are pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can absolutely find us and connect with us on LinkedIn. Um, you can find us on our website www.proofpoint.marketing. Um, the name of our company is Proofpoint, one word. Um, we are also, if I may say this, we are starting a podcast of our uh -huh. own. It's called Mixing Business with Pleasure. <laughs> and it's a podcast where we get to interview amazing uh, couples that are in a loving relationship that also have a business and work together. So what a are, great idea. Yeah. So we That's are great. We're always looking for exciting and interesting and uh, intelligent, amazing couples that, that own a business. Uh, so reach out to us through LinkedIn or through our website. And we'd love to hear from anybody that wants to get in touch with us, either about our story or about prematurity, about digital marketing, if you may need help in that area, um, or if you're looking to be a, a guest on our podcast, we'd love to be in touch. That's great. So I'm really excited about that. And I will be posting all those links on the website and on the show notes so people can find you. And Gabby and Mike, thank you for sharing your story and for for taking the time to 
to take me on this journey so I can better understand, better understand what you've been through. And, and I'm so happy that you guys are doing well. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for creating this platform. I think it's, it's great that it, it allows people to talk about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. I was just going to say that. Thank you, Ronit. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.